then those guys do a good job. Yeah. You know, it's always, it's not amazing to me. I always say this, it's amazing, but you know, it's great when the body of Christ comes together, when people from another church or another language uh, come and share with us and lead us. And it's this commonality of, of in Christ, right? And we just have this, this brotherhood and this sisterhood and this, this immediate connection and component. I love that when those guys come. I know they've come a few times and uh, they've always blessed us when they've been here. Uh, this morning, I want to look at a, a passage of Scripture. As Ryan said earlier, we are we're wrapping this 52 up, and there's like a holy amen to that one, right? Amen. We're finally wrapping up this series. It's been a long one. And I'm going to look at a passage from Daniel 3. So if you have your Bibles or your digital readers of some sort, open to Daniel 3. We're going to look at some, uh, uh, just some lessons. I know at this time of the year, um, you know, we're, we're evaluating, right? We're looking back on what we've accomplished, what God has brought us through, or or if you're a goal setter, this is the time where we're reevaluating goals, right? Here's my 10-year plan. Here's my five-year plan. And, and I kind of do that stuff. Um, no, let me rephrase that. I talk about kind of doing that stuff, right? Um, that's just kind of, you know, it's like, that's good. In the beginning of the year, I don't know if you're like this with me, but I get excited about making plans. We get organized. We're going to do these things, X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, January hits. And um, we just pray, God, we can make it through another year, right? We kind of get to that point. Um, I don't know if, you, if that's you or not. I you just assume this is the time of year where we kind of evaluate. If you, you, know, if you set those plans, we're like, okay, where are we at in our five-year plans and our ten and so on and so forth. Uh, it's also a time for uh, New Year's resolutions. Are you guys big on New Year's resolutions? Yes? No? Some? Maybe? Right? We always kind of go down that, that road, some of us, if, we, if you do that, where there's, um, you know, this year I'm going to, I don't know. Do you know lose? I'm gonna run. A, I'm gonna do a triathlon or something of that nature. Or we're gonna we're gonna do this. And I heard a guy one time say, you know, his my New Year's resolutions. I never make them, so I'm gonna set some lofty ones. That way I don't feel as bad when I don't do it, right? And he was like, I'm gonna you know bring about world peace. That was my New Year's resolution. And it got into me you know two weeks into January, figured I couldn't do it, so I just you know, didn't do it. But it felt better about it. Right? It was a lofty New Year's resolution. And it's interesting because some of these, and again, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I have a tendency to make these what I would equate to making a line in the sand, right? I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, on my health goals, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run, you know, my financial goals, I'm going to do this. And we kind of make these, these lines in sand, if you're, again, if you're anything like me. And then later on, you, you kind of just erase that line, right? Does is, is anybody identify with that, with me on that one? That's just me. Okay. Uh, now I feel really bad about saying that because you guys have totally knocked me down a few pegs on your, your Tyson used to be here now. Ah, ah, he's down here. Well, here's the past. So I assume this is the last Sunday of the year, and I want to talk about, um, you know, on our spiritual walk. And I want to really, I'll be up in front and honest with you, I want to push you and challenge you in this next year in 2016 to make a line, not in the sand, with your faith with God, your obedience to God. I want you to make that line in stone if you haven't done that. Right, where you live for him in, in difficult situations. And there's this passage in, in Daniel 3 that I want to look at that I think we can glean some, some elements of God's word and some truth we can apply to our lives. And we can say, you know what, I'm going to make that line. When it comes to my goals and it comes to my spiritual goals, right? as I said earlier, we're, everyone's on a spiritual journey. Hopefully you have spiritual goals. This year I want to read through the Bible. This year I'm going to you know, create a devotion time. This year I'm going, to, I'm going to study this. This year, you know, whatever, there has to be something. Uh, because the more we get God in us, the more he shines through us. And this is what he's commanded us to do, right? Let your light so shine. Um, and I want to see that happen. So up front, and, and as a pastor and, and challenging you, that's what I want to see you do. I want you to walk out of here going, you know what, this year I'm going to make that line in stone, right? Uh, God calls me a son. He calls me a daughter. And I'm going to live that way. 
You know, what? This time of year, I know a lot of us have time off and, and uh, vacation time. I tend to watch movies. My, my family loves to watch movies. And I love Westerns. Does anyone else love Westerns? All right. Good. That's good. Right? Especially the old John Wayne Westerns. I grew up watching those with my dad. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Howard Hawks. Uh, he was the director of some of John Wayne's movies, and, like El Dorado and Rio Bravo. And, and so anyway, El Dorado was one we, we could I can't, almost... Uh, well, all the words out of this movie, right? I've seen it so many times. You know, all John Wayne's and, and uh, you know, Robert Mitchum and, and uh, Walter Brennan was in a few of those, of those movies. And, and uh, it, my kids hate, hate watching it with me. One, they don't, they don't like Westerns, so I rarely get to watch them. But I was watching why we found on my birthday. They're like, that's your birthday. What do you want to watch? They're so gracious, right? And so I'm like, oh, you know, and they're like, Let, you can watch El Dorado Day. I will watch it with you. And about five minutes into the movie, they had to tell me to stop quoting the lines. That you stop quoting the lines. But I love westerns, right? And there's there's a western that that uh, so when a new one comes out, you got to watch them. And I, I don't know about ten years ago, there was one called Open Range that came out. And I thought about playing this clip out of this movie because it had a great statement. Um, and I would play it's only like thirty seconds, but uh, I couldn't find it. And, and like any good western, there's always a, a saloon scene, so it takes <laughs> it takes place in a saloon, right? Um, but there's this, this thing, if you're familiar with the movie, there's uh, Kevin Costner's the actor, and they're like, it's the typical Western, right? There's two guys, we're outnumbered, we're trying to round up troops, we're trying to round up these men to stand with us. And there's this scene in the saloon, and, and, and he's kind of throwing a little, I wouldn't say a fit, but he's trying to rally some guys, and, and uh, this one man responds to you know, having two, two sons, and he says, I didn't, I didn't raise my two sons to die, right? And Kevin Costner's response to that is, well, I don't know if you know it or not, but there are some things in life that gnaw on a man worse than dying. I just thought that was the great, it's like, yeah, that, that's something a cowboy would say, right? Gnawing for one. You ever heard that word gnawing? I'll sometimes, I like that, gnaw on that, or chew on this, you're thinking about something, right? And it's this idea that there's something in life, and so it's a great question I can pose to each and every one of us, because the statement I thought was so good is this statement, is there anything in your life right now? that bothers you more, right, that you would, you would forfeit your life and, instead of giving it up. And think about that for a moment, right? There's this great line, but here's my question to you. Is there something in your life, there, as you live out your life, is your faith, right? We're going we're gonna to hit that. Is it more important to you than your very life? Is knowing God, knowing Christ, are those things more important, or whatever else you want to plug in there? Or is, is there anything, or would you say no? I think my life is number one. That's a great question. Isn't it great to ponder on this? This is the time of year to ponder on that stuff, right? We're making goals. So here we come to this passage in Daniel 3, right? And I'll, I'll read some of it. I'll paraphrase a lot of it. Um, but it's important as we kind of jump into this that we understand that, that there is a scene I'm going to talk about, if you're familiar with this story, about these three Hebrew boys, right, who are not going to bow down to an image. And they're going to get thrown in the fiery furnace. That's that's a story we're going to talk about. Because they get to a point in their lives where they go, you know what? Knowing God is more important than my very life. Before we go on, before we jump into this, let me pray for us this morning. God, thank you so much for bringing us to this place. Uh, God, I do ask that you would speak through me, that you'd get me out of the way. Um, That every person here would receive from you, God, what you have for them. So once again, we surrender this time. We ask you to move. We ask, God, I ask your Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us, that you would give us insight into your word, into your truth, that we would not walk out of this place the same, and not spend this year the same, not just going through the motions, especially in our spiritual journey, but to grow, 
to be challenged by it and to grow and to move forward. Because, God, that's what you desire to see in us. So, Lord, let it begin at this time, in this moment. Be glorified, just like we sang earlier, Lord. Be glorified. Be the king of glory over our lives. And in this time, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And amen. That's good. I will point at you later to get that amen. All right? I'll make a good statement. It'll be quiet, and I'll go, amen. It's outstanding. So here we are. To get into Daniel 3, right, we first have to get through Daniel 1. Hold on to that. I'll point. You you pay attention. We got to get through Daniel 1 and Daniel 2. So here's what's going on. So Daniel and his, his, his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their slave names, have been captured. Jerusalem has been captured. This is the time of captivity. They've been, uh, Jerusalem has been sacked by the Chaldeans, right? And they have taken them into Babylon. You've got King Nebuchadnezzar, right, who's saying, hey, chapter 1, this is what's going on. Uh, he tells his, one of his uh, leaders to go, go look through all the Jews, see if there's any uh, good guys full of wisdom who can serve in the palace and, and train them up. And I'll test them here in a couple of years and see what we got, right? Is there any good ones, right? We've captured this city. We've captured all these slaves. Let's see if we can't find some decent servants out of it. So he goes and does this, and he finds these three. Okay, so, so right out of the gate, we have these guys who are not in their own country. They've been pulled out of their country. They're in a different country, uh, in a different culture. They've lost their names. They've become slaves, and now they're, they're, they're called by something different, right? A radically different place, area for them. Okay, so this whole idea of identity, when I, I kind of named this, this message, are you who you want to be, especially going this next year, because there's this play on identity in this whole passage, right? You have these guys who are no longer considered hebrew they are but they're not part of that that's not part of their family they're going to spend their whole lives in a whole other country and they're going to die in a whole other country right and they're going to be servants the rest of their lives in this way so king nebuchadnezzar has his has his guy sends him out he finds these these four guys daniel and his his uh, three compadres we could say right his three friends and they're full of wisdom the bible says and it says in chapter one that daniel wanted to set apart that he wanted to be in, in everything he wanted to put god first Give him priority, even in what he ate. He wanted to honor God. Okay, so that's kind of chapter one. In chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and it bothers him. It's this crazy dream. And so he summons all the the magicians. Is that right? I was going to say musicians. Not musicians, magicians. There it is. Um, And all the wise men to come and interpret the dream for him. Right? And so they're kind of stalling because they don't know. Right? These guys are like, I don't know. And he's going to kill us if we give him the wrong answer. And so he's kind of wise to this. And he goes, you know what, you wise men, um, why don't you tell me the dream and then uh, its interpretation, and then I'll know that you are legit. Right? And they're like, uh, oh, king, live forever. Uh, no one can do this. No one can tell you the dream. So he just gets furious. He starts killing them, right? So finally, I mean, this is over a period of time. Uh, Daniel kind of asked one of the guards, he's like, why? Why is the king killing these guys, right? Why is he doing it? Why is it so immediate? And so he explains to Daniel, here's what's going on. Daniel says, hey, let me and my friends, let us go pray. Tell them to hold off. Let us pray. Maybe my God will give me the, the interpretation. Will give me that dream, right? So they go and pray. This is all in chapter two, right, of Daniel. It's a great book. Um, they go and pray, and God gives Daniel, not, he gives them the dream and the interpretation. So he goes before the king, and he tells the king, here's what you, you dreamt, right? There was a statue, and the head was gold, and the rest of the statue was this ginormous statue, were, and the, cold, the gold head was, was your kingdom. It represented your kingdom, and all the other parts of the body were made of different materials. 
And they represented other, other kingdoms. But there's a time that's coming where all these will crash because there's one kingdom coming that will last forever. So Nebuchadnezzar just floored at this, and he falls at Daniel's feet. It's like, man, great is your God, because he reveals secrets. Not only did you tell me my dream, you gave me the interpretation. Okay? So that's happening in chapter 2. And it goes right into chapter 3, where we begin. What I call my first point, um, a deceptive image of unity. Because here's what's happening. Nebuchadnezzar is is clearly upset. I I shared all that backdrop to get you to chapter 3 here. Because he's upset at this dream, right? And he wants, um, he doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want a kingdom to come and crash down and, and, and outlast his. He wants to be known. So there's an element of in, in vanity, right? In vain, he is trying to, to tell God, right? My kingdom, not yours, is the one that will last forever. So what does he do, right? In Daniel chapter 3, he builds an image, and he asked all the, right, the administrators, the satraps, and the governors, the counselors, and the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates. He asked all of them to come and to worship at the sound of the music. When you hear the sound of the music, come and worship. And now this, this image that is now all gold, right? So that's, that's a play on the dream. In the dream, just the head was gold, which represented a kingdom. Now he's made a 90-foot image, right? It's about 9 feet wide, 90 feet tall, uh, of all gold. So what is he doing? He's responding to his dream and saying, no, my kingdom is the whole deal, and it's going to last forever. Okay, so that's what's happening, and he makes this image. And so he says, all the governors, all the, the, the administrators, all the, the, the people, all the head officials of all the languages, and it says in chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 3 of verse 4, where it says, uh, when they heard they're allowed to come, um, Yep, I don't think it's four. To hear the loud crowd too, I'm sorry, this is a page turn. Command, O peoples, nations and languages. There it is, it is verse four. So the idea is that all these people represented all the tribes and the languages to come together. And he's trying to unify, right, this, this kingdom. He's trying to bring it together. Right? He's trying to get this idea that, that we are all together. My kingdom will last. I will one-up God. I will stand defiant in that sense. I will be the number one. And we, and we have to realize that in his time, in Nebuchadnezzar's time, he didn't care how many gods you had. You could have a bunch of gods. You could be a Hebrew, right, a slave, and, and follow the God of the Old Testament. And, and that's come perfectly fine. But what he's asking of everyone here is that it becomes subordinate right, to the motherland. This is the idea is that he's trying to unify his kingdom. This is the idea of worship and coming, right? So he's trying to get this, all the peoples to go, you know what? You can have any God you want. You can worship any God you want. You can do whatever you want. They just have to take second place to the image because I want you to unify, right? I want everyone to put this kingdom as number one. This is very similar to you would see totalitarian states, right? Where you would see maybe in, in, uh, in Lenin, right? Uh, we might see it in, in uh, Saddam Hussein, where there's a statue and people would bow, and, and you had to, to, to give your allegiance to, to the motherland, right? Otherwise, they would kill you. That's the same idea. We see the same idea in, in our own times, right? And we have the same similar pressures. 
Right? In our society, we don't necessarily have anyone going, you should bow down to the image, but we are told to keep your truth. Hey, that's good. You're a Christian. That's great. You know God. That's great. He's changed your life. Hallelujah. Whatever. Uh, keep that to yourself. Right? Do you not feel a tremendous amount of pressure to, to keep that subordinate? It's the very same thing that is happening in our day, right? We should be some nodding. Yes, you know your work environment. You know your sphere of influence. You know those people that are around you. You know there's times when you can speak about it, and there's times you're like, you know what, I can't. Because we have to maintain that separation, right, in our society. Our society has said, especially in America, you can worship anything you want, right? If it's the Christian God, keep that one to yourself. Make it subordinate. This is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar is doing, right? So this is why I call it a deceptive, it's a deceptive image of unity. I'm going to put this up here, but he truly doesn't have unity, right? If you see the parallel of, remember this is about kingdoms, right? My kingdom, he is saying, God, your kingdom is not going to last, my kingdom. Truly who, where is unity truly found? Right, in God especially in the New Testament, in his church. All languages, truly all languages, right, can come and worship. It doesn't matter your background, your, your, uh, your economic background. It doesn't matter. I mean, Jesus started this on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, right, when he changed, when you pray, he switched from Hebrew to Aramaic. And all those Jews standing around him were like, what? That was the heavenly language, right? If you're going to pray to God, you're going to pray in Hebrew. And he changes languages. It's the idea that all come. Here is complete unity. So he's very deceptive. He's trying to get all these people, hey, surrender, make the motherland number one, right? And you come number two. Anything you want, the whole pantheon, right? You can worship the thousands of God. That was the joke, right, in the Old Testament. These Christians were so poor, they only had one God, right? That's kind of the joke. And here they are. Make it subordinate. You and I, today, we have the same pressure. We can identify with this. Now here and there, right, if you don't bow when the music plays, we're going to kill you. you know, at least we don't have that. We do have some pressures in America. We do have opposition. We do have issues. We do have stresses, right? all those elements. Man, we don't face death for it yet. At least not yet, right? So that's the first point out of this, this passage. Number one is, is it deceptive? You know, our, our, our allegiance, where is it to? Right? As followers of Christ, we have to go, you know what? True unity is found in Jesus. And I need to let it shine. So here you have these three Jewish boys, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're slave names, they're standing, and they realized. Now, again, when Daniel went and prayed about the dream, they were with Daniel, and they prayed through it. They realized, probably a little bit more so, what's happening here? Oh, my goodness, we know. We know the prayer. The prayer was this. The head was gold. Now the whole thing is gold. He's asking us all, we know what he's doing. Right? And Daniel's interpretation was, there is a kingdom that will come that will last forever. So clearly, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying, you know what? I'm going to be a part of that kingdom. That kingdom lasts forever. He is my God, and we're not going to bow down. We're not going to bow down. So the music plays, right? All this is happening. The music plays. The music plays, and everyone's doing it. Isn't that like the pressure of society? Hey, everyone's bowing down. Just come bow down. That's fine. You're still a Christian. It's okay. Come bow down. They're not going to do it. You know what's interesting as well is they're not going around like picketing or anything. Hey, we're not going to bow down. This would be a situation you've seen some people that are kind of radical, you know, turn or burn, right? You hear that statement? Here, like, if they were to do that, it would be turn and burn. 
right? Turn and burn because it will kill you. So they're not going around making it blatant. They're not on on the streets yelling at people or, or evangelizing in that way, right? They're not doing any of this. They're simply not allowing God to take second place. I'm not going to bow to any other. My knee will bow to God and him alone. And it comes to a moment of decision, right? So there's a, there's a, there's a time lapse. They know if they don't bow down, it's, there's going to come a moment of decision. And what I put in your notes is it's the moment of decision is already made. Okay, so there's some, some Chaldeans in verses uh, 8 through 12 here. They come, they start, they start taking notice. Hey, hey, there's these Jews, and they're not bowing down. And so, so think about it, right? So they're the occupying force. They're the ones the Chaldeans have won and, and conquered. We've conquered Jerusalem. We've taken all these Jews as slaves. We're, they're now back. But because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, because they had favor with King Nebuchadnezzar, he put them in, in places of authority. So these guys are going, you know what? I don't think I like that. Here we've conquered them, and the king's placed them over us. Have you ever been in a situation where you come into a new work environment, and you just excel at it, and they, and they advance you over others? Has anyone ever experienced that? I've done that a few. That's not good, right? There's some people who are like, what is going on? Then the manager turns around and says, you know what? You're so good. I'll put you over these people that I just put you in front of, and you manage them. Great. That's outstanding, right? How can I get more of that? Because those are the most disgruntled people you ever come across in your life. Oh, my goodness. He's only been here a year, and he's already got an advance. Right? And then you got to turn around and manage him. So here's what's going on. So these, these Jews have come, and God's filled them with wisdom. They found favor with the king. And these Chaldeans don't like it. So there's a little incentive. Hey, they're not bowing. I think we can deal with these guys. Right? True to life, true to form. Right? There's no, no new sins under the sun. It's all the same stuff, packaged differently. They go to the king. And they start out going, hey, king. Right? Didn't you say, right? Aren't you, aren't you the king? Didn't, didn't you say that when you say these things, we should follow? That when the music plays, we should bow? They're like totally setting him up, right? Of course he said these things. Right? Of course he said this. Well, then there's these three certain guys, we won't mention their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, who are not bowing down. Didn't you say they would get thrown into the furnace? So in fury, right, the king's upset at this. I'll read here. This is starting in uh, 13. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve the image? Or excuse me, you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up. Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psalm tree, and symphony, and all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Interesting thing here. Here's the king. These guys have openly defied him. He should immediately kill them. But he doesn't. Right? So there's a connection back to Daniel 2 once again where these have been acknowledged. They're full of wisdom. There's something about these guys. But he gives them an opportunity. This is like your second chance. This is like the moment where Nebuchadnezzar is going, you know what? Hey, let's go walk around the fiery furnace, guys. Hey, look, do you feel the heat? Is it pretty hot? Yeah, it's hot. Okay, that's good. So when the music plays, right, and if you don't bow down, 
we're going to throw you in there. He's giving them a second chance. He's saying, why don't you get together, have a holy huddle, and discuss this, right? Because I'm going to kill you. It's, it's complete immense grace that he doesn't kill them immediately, right? So he's like, have a holy huddle, talk about it, and get back to me. So when the music plays, we'll, we'll find out where you're at. The reason I call this is a, a decision that's already made because they don't need to discuss it. They have predecided our response to this problem they knew had to be coming, right? This question was going to be, uh, they were going to be faced with. And it goes on in, in, in verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we that we do not serve that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. See, there's a great, great lesson here for us. The fact that the decision was already made. They considered it. You know they considered it. You know they saw it. You know they felt the heat. You know they looked at all this and said, is it worth our lives? And they, they pondered that question. Is there something that nods on us, guys, going back to our Western, right? Worse than, than dying. And for them it is, yes, I'm not going to bow down to this image. I'm going to put God, number one, where he belongs. And the great spiritual insight for us out of that passage is the fact of, of the predetermined idea that when this situation arises, I know what I'm going to do. Right? In our lives, in our spiritual journey, right? you know where you work, you know where you exist. And if you don't begin the day by saying, when this situation arises, when this, this matter happens, if you're not predetermined what you're going to do, typically that situation will come and go, and you'll be just like everyone else. You'll miss that opportunity to stand for truth. You'll miss that opportunity to stand for justice. And they're not major things. Again, Shadrach, Meshach, they're not going around beating people over right, with their Torah and the law. Boom. Right? They're not doing that. They're simply not allowing God to take second place. So in our, you know, we can look at some parallels to this and say, maybe it's the idea of standing up for somebody who's, who everyone's picking on. Maybe it's, we stop swearing. I mean, it can be simple things. Maybe it's in a, in a business meeting. We say, you know what, that's unethical. We shouldn't do that. It can be very simple things. And in those moments, when you stand for justice and what is right and true, what are you doing? You're shining your light because all those are rooted here. God commands Micah 6, 8, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Jesus brings that, that whole idea over. Right? What are the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbors yourself. You start doing those things, you'll start shining your light. And you will feel some, some elements where you'll have to take a stand. And the idea is that if I, you predetermine in this meeting that's coming up, I know we're going to discuss these things. I'm going to predetermine that God's not going to take second. I don't have to get my Bible out and, and preach the gospel to anybody, but I do need to stand for what is right. That's an amazing little element of truth. You know, I kind of learned this as a kid one time. I, I was playing baseball, and I'm old enough now. I don't remember how old I was when I was playing baseball. I played catcher, and I love catcher. To me, it's still like the best position ever. Okay? I don't just, maybe that's me. But I would play baseball, and in the, in the league I was playing, I don't know if it was double A AA or triple A, you could steal, but you couldn't lead off, is what I remember. Um, and I loved it. I loved throwing a guy out at second. That was like the high right reel from my life. If I could, th- and I, I worked hard. 
on, on throwing that ball. There's a runner still in second, right? And I'm the catcher. I'd work hard at throwing that ball to right to where that kid was sliding. And I threw to that spot, right? I mean, that was, right? And, and I just, that was like, I could hit five home runs in a game. But if I threw a guy on second, I was like, ha, ha, ha. I let off with that kind of bragging, right? That was the kind of kid, I want to do this. I love baseball. And so we're at the start of the season, and the coach pulls me in the, in, in the shortstop one day outside. We're getting ready to start the season. We're going to run this play, right? So he goes, he's telling me in the shortstop that when we're facing an opposing team, and they've got a runner on third base and a runner on first, and that guy on first steals, telling me, Tyson, I want you to throw the ball to the shortstop. There's that moment, right? You're like, what? Do you not trust me? I'll get that guy. You're going to be like, trust me. Hey, trust me. I'll get him. Right? There's that moment inside of you. are like, what are you telling me not to throw the guy out? Because in the league we played in, it was like almost automatic. If that situation arised, there was a runner on third and a guy on first. And that guy on first stole. It was like every team did it. Right? First pitch. Send the runner because the catcher, maybe some of us weren't good. It wasn't me. Right? Would miss their throw. And the ball would go in the outfield. And they would automatically score this roll. And then typically the guy still in second would get second, possibly third. And and the guy in third would come home. It was like automatic play. My coach knew this. He knew that all the teams we faced would run this. But this situation happened, we'd do this. He goes, here's what I want you to do. When that situation happens, not at, the, not at the shortstop, okay, next pitch, boom, the runner would go. I'd throw it to the shortstop. He would immediately grab the ball and throw it right back to me. Okay, we did that one. We, we did it the whole season. But first time we did it, I was amazed. Got this kid ran home, right? And I'm like waiting with him with the ball. Boom. We'll gladly give you second base and get the out and stop your runner, right? And we did that all season long. And, and every time we'd hop up and the situation would arise, look at the shortstop, all right, here we go. We'd the pass, the guy would steal, and I would hop up and throw it. All the parents, right, watching, we're like, no, don't throw it. It's like, man, we've been doing this all season long. You know what we're doing. And, and right, they were just like, no, you're going to miss it, which was kind of offensive. I'm like, no, I'm not going to miss the short. All right, I'd throw the ball, and he'd get it back. We did this all season. We played these teams multiple times, and they still didn't quite pick it out. And no one did it against us. There were moments when I would do this, and I thought, my coach is brilliant. I was just completely shocked at how this play worked. Every, there was one time it didn't work. And it's when we, the situation arrives, right? Now the catcher, okay, the guy, they got a runner on first, guy on third. He takes off, still second, right? Hop up, do the play. Throw the shortstop, he grabs the ball, throws it back to him. Well, the kid on third wasn't paying attention, right? And the time he kind of dawned on him, like, oh, I should go home because he's still in second base. I already had the ball. I had the ball back, and he's like, whoa. And just that moment, you're like, oh. <laughs> right? There's our perfect streak wreck because you weren't paying attention. But there was a simple lesson in this. Okay? What, what the coach didn't mean to teach me this, but I walked away going just, I mean, the whole season. It was amazing because in this situation, I learned that when this happens, here's what I'm going to do. Okay? When this happens, here's what I'm going to do. And I've used that in other elements. When I come across in this meeting, I'm going to, okay, when this is discussed, here's what I'm going to do. Because in order to advance your spiritual journey, in order to get that into into stone, you have to begin thinking this way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Meshach, they know, hey, we're going to be faced with a fiery furnace. He's going to ask us. Someone's going to see this. Someone's going to rat us out. What are we going to do when that happens? We're We're going to surrender our lives. He means that much. They know what they're going to do. And, you know, at the beginning of your day, if you know things are ahead of you, and this isn't a new concept, right? If you go to any type of counseling or any type of anything, they'll say, hey, be proactive in your thinking. Any counselor will tell you that. When this situation, don't, don't live in a reaction life. Live in a proactive life. I'm sure you've heard those statements. It's the same idea. 
Don't just react to a situation. Don't let it catch you off guard. Be active. Be proactive. I know what I'm going to do in this situation. I'm going to do this. Some will catch you off. There's some you won't be aware of, of course. But in many things, if you begin with a biblical understanding of how you're going to operate in this situation, chances are much higher you're going to operate in a biblical right, way in that situation. And here's what these guys are doing. So this is, this is for us. This is that response where they say, you know what? It doesn't matter, King. We don't need to discuss it. We don't need to have a holy huddle here. Uh, we know the answer. We've already worked this out. Our God is worth more to us. He's not, he's not going to take second place. This is, this is the end for us. You can throw us in the fiery furnace. We don't need to discuss it. I've got it worked out. So it goes on. It says in, in, uh, in verse 19. Actually, before we read this, I mean, this is really kind of the, jumps into the application you know, because for us, you know, going to this idea of, of putting a line in stone and me challenging you to do this year, let this, your life, your spiritual journey, let it be in stone. It doesn't mean perfection, but it means we're growing. It means we're moving forward. And if we're going to do that, there's some things we're going to face, some things we're going to endure, some things we're going to come across. And what can we expect? And my last point here is really, a, you know, a reasonable expectation. If you're going to do this and say, Ty, I'm tracking with you. I've been doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. All right. I'm going to keep moving forward. If you're here this morning and saying, you know what? I haven't been doing it. I'm going to do it this year. If you're tracking this, here's what you can expect when you begin to make that line in stone, where you begin to stand for those who don't have a voice. And you can begin to say, you know what? We should operate in a high moral standard with ethics. Hey, we should, we should, be, we should be doing these things. Here's what you can expect. The first one is isolation. Right? You're going to feel some isolation. This goes back to verse 4. We kind of already hinted on this. Or excuse me, verse 12, where it says, There were certain Jews from you. And these are the Chaldeans going to the king, saying there's some certain Jews from you um, whom you have set over the affairs of the providence, excuse me, the province of, of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So if you begin to, to stand out, if you begin to take a stand on some things, you can experience isolation, right? They were singled out. The second thing you can, you can expect is opposition. Now, that's not the correct word that we'd use for this situation because here it's death, right? We would say in their, in their uh, situation, it is death. This is what they would be facing. But for you and I, it would be opposition, Right? We're going to experience some people who are going to oppose us. If you especially start saying, you know, well, why do you think that? Why don't you do this? Why, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, my goodness, you're a follower of Jesus. You're going to feel that. You're going to have some comments. There's going to be a rub. There's going to be a difference, right? Some people are going to start treating you a little bit differently. That's opposition. That's what you're going to have to endure with. And the verse here is talking in, um, in verse 19 where it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the, uh, and the expression on his Face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He's extremely upset, right, at their response or lack to discuss it. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor uh, were in the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. They're going to face opposition, right? Some people are just going to be plain upset. Seven times, get it harder. Get some mighty men. Throw this guy. I mean, he's upset. How dare you not bow down? How dare you, right? Put God first. So that's what we can expect. The first two, I get it. The first two are like isolation, opposition. That's not the great motivational speaker, Tyson. We don't want to hear those things starting the new year. I get that, right? Those aren't great things. But the third one far outweighs it. Emmanuel with us, right? What happens in the fiery furnace? Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, "Um, Guys, did you not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, King, it is true. Yes, that's what we did. There's only three, right? And he goes, Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. We just spent a season celebrating Emmanuel, God coming to earth. Here we see it demonstrated, whether it's, it is in fact the second person of the Trinity or an angel. It's, it, either one works. The text is unclear on that. But here you have the presence of God with them. And he's astonished. Right? Here is Emmanuel with these guys. Wait a minute. It's like he gets his abacus out going, wait a minute, there's one, two, three, and there's a fourth. What? You know, wait a minute. What is going on? Emmanuel, God with us in this life, when you face, or really when we know that, we have that confidence, in the first situation, when you feel isolated, are you truly isolated? You're not. God is with you, right? In the moments of of, of oppression uh, or opposition is the word I put in there. Are you truly alone? You are not. You know, isn't it amazing that in trials, God desires, I guess that would be the right word, that you and I would experience certain trials. Why is that? Because our faith shines. And those moments, right, when you go through a difficult situation and all you have is God and you lean upon him, it shows itself. Because the last one is what? They become a witness to God's kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar is watching all this. And he's seeing it. He's going, what is this? We threw three guys in. There's a fourth. He's walking around. Uh, I don't understand that. It says in verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. There's an acknowledgement here. Come out and come here. Then they came out, right? In the midst of the fire. And all the satraps, the administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and, and the smell of fire was not on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. He's acknowledging. They have become witnesses. Again, did they go out beating people over the head with their Torah, right, with their law, with their scrolls, right, in the Old Testament? No. Did they have pickets going turn and break? No. They simply stood for what was right. He's my God and I love him. I am his child. And they become a witness. Verse 29, therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. And he goes on and promotes them. 
You know, it's amazing. Some, some scholars would think that <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar gets saved here. I don't think he does. Right? He always refers to him as the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's kind of true to life. As you live it out, as you're on your spiritual journey, as you make decisions, you go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become who God wants me to be. I'm going to be a son and a daughter of the king. As I live this out, there's going to be moments where you're going to have a positive infect, effect, right? could be infect, uh, on people. But it doesn't mean necessarily they're going to come to believe. That's just the truth that, that we live with, right? We plant, we water, we sow. God makes it grow. And it's through, through trials that we shine. You know, last... Last Monday, I had to fly to California. Actually, on Sunday, I flew to California, and, and I had the honor of officiating at my uncle's funeral. And during the funeral on Monday, I was sharing from, from the Gospel of John, right, when Jesus is, is about to go to a horrific death on the cross. And it's at John 14, 27, where he says to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but I give to you, right? Let your hearts be troubled. Right? I'm with you. I'm going to go back to the Father. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And he talked about this idea of, of legacy. You know, Jesus leaves this with us. And, and, and truly, peace isn't, isn't built upon or, or subject to circumstance, right? It's something you can have in the midst of trial, in the midst of pain. He is with you, right? It doesn't depend on whether I've had a good day, therefore I have peace. No, his peace is for you in the midst of the hardest and difficult things of life. And my uncle, was, who was a, a man who knew the Lord, which makes funerals a whole lot easier to preach. I got to share elements of his life, right? These same ideas, integrity, honesty, family, all these elements that, that are a part of the Christian faith that shined in him. It's this idea of legacy. You know, you're at the end of, of 2015. You're about ready to begin 2016. Are you who you want to be? Is God number one? Are there things in your life that bother you more than dying? There's some questions I just challenge you. Put them, think on them, pray about them. Because God's desire, right? Through difficulty, I get it. That's not the greatest thing. Yeah, it's nice. Where can I sign up for difficulty? I understand that. But you've lived life long enough where this is, this is where we operate. This is where we exist. And in the midst of that, God has promised. He doesn't promise you to walk you around the trials. He says, I will be with you in the midst of those trials. Right? Let your light shine.